Nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making changes to your healthcare plan. Episode 105 of the Juicebox podcast is brought to you by Dexcom and Omnipod. You can learn more about the sponsors and help support the Juicebox podcast if you go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox and dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Today, Jennifer Smith, R-D-L-D-C-D-E, L-M-N-O-P, returns to the podcast. Jennifer has been living with type 1 diabetes since she was a child, but, 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 she's also been teaching people how to live better with it for quite some time. She's a registered and licensed dietitian, a certified diabetes educator, and a certified trainer on most makes and models of insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitors. And if it sounds like I just read that, I did, right from integrateddiabetes.com, because that's where Jennifer works. And even though she's super duper busy, she found time to come back on the podcast today at my behest. I said, Jennifer, please, I need you to come back on your episode, episode 37, Jenny Smith, Diabetes Guru, is a fan favorite, but I have more questions and I want to speak specifically about A1C and I want to do it with you. So Jennifer was kind enough to come on and spend her time. You can see this episode is extra long. It's an hour and a half, but trust me, it is full of things you want to know. I I have to say that after 10 years of my daughter living with type 1 diabetes, I always feel like I understand what A1C is and why it's important and why I shouldn't judge myself too harshly about it and blah, 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 and all those other things. But I don't know. I just wanted to know the rest. So buckle up. By the time this is over, everything you ever wanted to know about A1C and probably a bunch of stuff you didn't want to know should be answered. guys are in for a treat today. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm excited that you're doing this, actually. Yeah, I know. I was excited to, like, get an email from you. (laughs) I just, um, you know, obviously I'm recording already, so any of this may be used, but um, I... Since so since the podcast has began, which is now, you know, it's been a while. It's over a hundred episodes. It's been since 2015. That's I, awesome. It is. It has been really way more than I could have expected. But I'm. It feels weird to say this, right? But the emails and the messages are more and more consistent every day, and they all have one of two maybe three messages, you know, like I saw, I saw myself in someone you spoke to and it really helped me to find my way. My A1C or my kid's A1C has dropped one or two points since I started listening to the podcast. Oh, awesome. Right. Or, or the other one is it's always like, well, I'm, I'm still figuring it out. I'm trying, but I feel really motivated. And I was like, this is amazing, you know? Yeah. And, and so I recognize that a decade into my daughter's diagnosis, there are things I don't know, and I learn every day. One, sure. of, one of them, without a doubt, is that I have at best a limited understanding of what A1C is. And so, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I get it, and I can, and in a minute, I'm going to tell you what I feel like it is. But yeah. I, but I just want to really do, like, a deep dive and, and, okay. and spend the entire time. Because if you hear me go off, Jennifer, if I... If I see something shiny and I start heading down a different path, (laughs) 
You have to yell no, Scott. We're only talking about A1C today. And, okay. All right, all right. That, that, that's, uh, well, I mean, there are certainly shiny, shiny dangling objects even along the path of A1C. So <laughs> I will try to follow them, I guess, is, is what I'm saying. So, Great. So most of the time I say to the person, hey, you introduce yourself and then I'll ask you a question. But we're going to sort of do this backwards today. So okay. um, I'm going to introduce myself. <laughs> then I'm going to introduce you. And okay. then, and then I'm going to ask you a question and then you're going to do a lot of talking. So, um, okay. so hi, I feel like I'm in an AA meeting. My name is Scott. Uh, my, <laughs> my daughter has had type one diabetes for a decade and my understanding of what A1C really is, is pretty basic. So I have invited Jennifer Smith. You may recognize her name from a previous podcast episode that a lot of you email me and say is fantastic and you love. Uh, to come on and school me about the the um, what A1C really is. And we're going to try to look at it in a complete way so that by the time this is over, I and anyone listening aren't just using it as like, hey, I got my score today and it was good or bad. Like, like you know, I don't want people to think of it that way. So, okay. So, Jennifer, you can say hi now. Hi, I'm Jennifer Smith. Um dietitian and diabetes educator. And thanks again for having a chat with me. <laughs> I always love contributing and giving information. Um, and I, I think it's interesting that you bring up that you feel like even a decade in that you're not quite schooled, so to speak, in A1C. And I, I would have to say that most people probably have the basic that A1C is it's an average, right? Yep. And they don't really get more into that. Um, and they do. They see it kind of like a scorecard. Even, I mean, I've had type 1 for almost 29 years now. And even still in the back of my clinical and personal life with diabetes educated mind, A1C is still like a report card to me. <laughs> Even though I know more about it. It's difficult. I think it's difficult not to feel that way. I've told the story on here before that, you know, after years of just uh, the slog of not being able to get my daughter's A1C to move, it moved, you know, like, I don't know, like 0.03. It went like from 8.7 to 8.4, you know. And right. uh, I broke down in tears and hugged my nurse practitioner in the office in front of about 30 other people waiting to go in for their appointments. And, and at one point she was like, she was just holding me and she's, she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm so happy. And I don't even know why I'm crying. And blah, blah, blah. And me, it's ridiculous. I think it was the relief of like, wow, I actually got it to move. Right. It's almost like that report card you get in school when you're really not quite sure what the end result of your hard class was going to be. <laughs> right. And you get it and you're like, oh. Good. I passed it, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, you know, it's funny. My son just retook the SAT uh, a couple weeks ago. And oh, wow. Gosh. He's taken it a couple of times, right? But this time, uh, he's been doing okay, but he's been trying to improve. And, and, um, and this time, he came out. I said, how was it? He goes, that was the hardest one I've taken so far. And he had taken, like, practice tests and, and the actual test and everything. And now it's two weeks later. And he kind of just out of nowhere said to me the other day, he goes, I, I may have done okay on it. And I'm like, what? And he goes, the A he's like, you know, I, I the SAT I took a couple weeks ago. He's like, I'm thinking maybe I did okay. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. He took a course. He had a tutor for nine weeks. He'd already taken it previously. He's a very good student. 
And two, uh-huh. two weeks past the test, he's still like, I don't know what happened in there. And, right. and that's sort of how I feel sometimes. There are times when I look at my, you know, look, I am notoriously bad. I don't keep logs. I don't take notes. I don't write down. I don't even count carbs. But, um, but you st- do all of that stuff very in-depth on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I just don't write it down is what I'm saying. You're not writing it down. You have pretty You've got in-depth analysis. It's just that you're consistently doing it. Right, right. Oh. Well, yeah, you're very kind. But but my point is is that the three months, every three months goes by, and Arden does see her her endocrinologist. Well, we never see the endocrinologist. We see a nurse practitioner. Um, I, I don't even know. If the endocrinologist wasn't alive anymore, I'm not 100% sure I would know that. But um, <laughs> but nevertheless, um, you know, there are times I go in and I think about, like, it feels like the last three months, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, there were a lot of highs overnight. She grew. She gained 10 pounds. She gained three pounds. She got an inch taller. I fought with blood sugars a lot. This is going to be, this is not going to be our one of our better A1Cs. And I go in and it didn't move or it went down. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, wait, how did I not even know? I feel like my son coming out of the SAT. Like, how did I not know what I did? You, you right. Know? And I think that that is a really good kind of, it opens up the box of why is A1C not the end all be all of analysis and why it shouldn't actually be. Right. Um, right. Because what goes into that average is variable person to person, right? And so when we look at A1C, we know that it measures the you know amount of, of sugar that essentially stuck to the hemoglobin in our red blood cells, right? And that's averaged over the course of 120 days, mainly because we our red blood cells are regenerated every 120-ish days. The Mayo Clinic defines A1C like this. The A1C test is a common blood test used to diagnose type 1 and type 2 diabetes and then to gauge how well you're managing your diabetes. The A1C test goes by many other names, including glycated, wow, here we go, glycated hemoglobin, glycoxylated hemoglobin, that I definitely said wrong, hemoglobin A1C, and HbA1C. The A1C test result reflects your average blood sugar level for the past two to three months, specifically the A1C test measures what percentage of your hemoglobin, a protein in red blood cells that carry oxygen, is coated with sugar glycated. The higher your A1C level, the poorer your blood sugar control, and the higher your risk of diabetes complications. See, now this is why we had Jenny come on, because I read that, and I don't know what it said. Okay, at least that's the, the thought. There is other research that's thinking that perhaps some people have red blood cells that regenerate sooner or last even longer. So even in that, that could change up what your A1C result ends up being. Can I ask right? you a quick question? I don't want to break your stride. But so if my red blood cells generate quicker, then my A1C might just be lower because there's not as much data on the cell. Correct. And the, right. other, and the other way is if I happen to have red blood cells that don't regenerate in, these, in this 90-day period, I may look like my A1C is higher than it actually is. Because there's more data, quote unquote, there. Uh, right. Right. So more data, but in the same time period. It's not stretched out over more days. Correct. And that's kind of where, you know, A1C is, again, one average um, number. It gives you now that estimated average glucose, which is oftentimes how they'll report it on a lab report. They'll tell you your A1C. They'll tell you what your estimated average glucose is that corresponds with that. But again, as a one sort of looks like one 
finite number. Unfortunately, that is all ability a basis that every individual can have. Jennifer, you know, I, we, I tried to let you get through that, but you broke up so much. I'm going to have to ask you to go back. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Yep, yep. I was just the um, the A1C is like one one number, right? And it goes along with an estimated average glucose value. But if we only look at that as a one pinpoint number and say, well, it looks like my A1C is, you know, such and such is five. So that means that my estimated average glucose is 97 or 5.4 for those who might be doing millimoles. Mm-hmm. Um, but the variance that caused that can be different person to person. You may have um, what I call roller coaster blood sugars, and you might be getting an A1C of 6%. But that's a variance between really low and really high. That doesn't mean that your A1C of 6, it looks beautiful, and your endo is going to say, oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Let's just keep doing what you're doing. But unless they look at the data points of actual finger sticks, or thankfully now we have even more than that, a CGM with even more information about trends. Unless they look at that, and unless we look at that as people who live with diabetes, we would say, great, I'm doing awesome. My A1C is right where it's supposed to be. But then you might look at somebody who has an A1C of six, and their variance looks kind of like slow, gentle rolling hills. And, and so in that specific situation, the health, the overall health of the person who's not on that roller coaster, even though their A1Cs are the same, is exactly. likely better. Correct. Okay. Absolutely. Because, you know, there is research that um, shows too, and I'm sure you've probably read it, but the more, the more the roller coastering, the more the variance between the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs, that causes complications to develop as well even again if your overall a1c looks like it's been beautiful down the road because of that variance up and down complications can develop because there's not as much tight control right so let me dumb this down for me to make sure to make sure i understand before i move on if my life consisted of me sitting on a sofa and that was my whole life and then there was another person whose life was better like more more relaxed than that they were laying on the floor comatose 28 out 24 23 hours a day but in the in the other hour of the day a prize fight boxer was beating them in the face then even though that their 23 hours were spent comatose and calm and happy and i spent all 24 hours just sort of sitting on the sofa watching television um they're not as relaxed as i am because there was some time in their life this is a horrible analogy but there's time in their life where they're being beaten and even though yep. the even though the calm time is calmer than my calm time, and and so the when you average it out, you're still getting punched in the face every day. Correct. There is still like quote unquote damage that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, Absolutely. Okay. So here's my here's my thought, like based on my decade with this, is that, and I've never had anybody tell me this is true or false, but it's always been my guess that A1C is just sort of the best medicine has to offer as an insight into generally speaking, how you're handling your diabetes. Is that even close? Like that's how I always feel. I always feel like, look, here's the test we have. It's not great, but it's not bad and it's all we have. So shoot for a lower number because that generally means better. And is that, yeah, 
I think in a general sense, yes, we have many, many, many years. I think A1C, um, A1C first started to be used in the 80s. Um, and so since then, you know, we have kind of used that as an important tool for looking at what somebody's average has been. But again, as I, as I said, that average, unfortunately, when the medical community is just using an A1C, um, and I really have to thank my, um, my maternal fetal medicine team. I, I just had a baby. So congratulations. I, yeah, he's uh, nine weeks old. Mommy, yes, I've got a four-year-old too, but uh, both, I use the same team for both. And I have to say that they really didn't want only an A1C. And so I bring this up in the context because they knew that A1C as a one value number didn't show the variance that I might be having on a day-to-day basis. And so in the medical community as testing an A1C, great, it's a, it's a good starting point point. Um, but I think for somebody who does have an A1C that looks like it's good, I think even more information needs to be gathered within an appointment with you know someone like that because we should be looking at at least finger stick data. And what is that into this A1C? Is there a lot of variance despite this A1C number looking good? Um, and I, I hate the terms good and bad, but that's kind of what we use, Listen, right? Here's what I've learned about talking about diabetes. If we spent the time to parse out every word into a sentence that didn't make anybody <laughs> upset, the conversation right. the conversation would never get had. I Listen, if I say a bad number, I'm not judging you. If I say a good number, I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to get through the thought. And right. so, yeah, right. And so... You know, so it's funny. So it took me a number of years, like, because in the beginning, you know, first of all, my daughter was two. I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, somebody just said, you know, I, I, I remember, you see, it's on the wall in the office, right? It's a, I don't, most offices probably have this chart that looks like a thermometer. And mm-hmm. where your A1C Absolutely. is quote unquote bad, it's all red. And where it's yep. good, it's green. And I'm like, oh, I'm in the red. And like, you know, like, it's just, you know, ah, I'm always in the red, boiling, dying. It's what it all felt like, right? Like, I always felt like I was yeah. killing her. Like, oh, I'm killing my daughter. I'm, this is great. And so, you know, and so when it's put into those terms, and I don't, I don't want to go down this road, but when people, I think, really do need to understand what you're talking about, what I'm talking about, kind of taking, kind of taking charge of understanding it better because you really only have a few minutes with your doctor every three months. And if we're being honest, it's hard not to think of it as your time and everything. But that doctor is seeing people over and over and over again every 15 minutes all day long. You're not right. getting you're not getting great care. Let's be honest. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're getting – it's better than third world care, but it's not as good as having a private physician come to your house and sit with you for two hours over tea and explain your health to you. So, right. you know, like, so it's always going to sort of be what it's going to be. And you have to expand on it. And there was that day where I thought, I don't understand this well enough. And mm-hmm. and so I forget who said it out loud first, but I want to say it might have been Mike Hoskins um, who, okay. who at Diabetes Mind. I might have read something that he wrote that made me realize, just made me think about it differently. I was like, oh my God, this thing is an average. So if, yeah. my, so if my daughter's blood sugar is 
I don't know, 50 overnight for eight hours and then 300 while she's awake, her A1C may look not bad. But, Correct. But right. But that's not healthy for her. And it it's like it's almost like cheating on the test. Right. Like you. It is. Right. Right. That's a great way. That's a, a great way to say it. And and cheating, unfortunately, not by your own choice to cheat. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's- it, it, it is what it is. It is kind of cheating, yes, because it averages out to look like, well, I'm not doing so terrible because my number looks, this one pinpoint number yes. tells me that it's averaged perfectly. But I think it brings up a good point of, um, you know, we've got that short time with our clinician, whether it's an endo or an educator or, a, you know, a nurse in the office, etc. I think we can we can improve our outcome of what we get back feedback wise by actually bringing in more data than just expecting them to go by an A1C. So anytime you can bring in even a, a written or printed out from your glucometer or your pump download or more beneficial actually is a CGM. Mm-hmm. If your office doesn't download your CGM, print it out, bring it in, Bring a couple of days worth, bring the average or the overlays, um, because really you can then prove to them and say, my A1C looks nice, but I'm worried because I'm having these issues. Right. Um, and one of the one of the major things that A1C, again, doesn't help to bring into the visual field of a clinician talking to somebody is where are the episodes of low blood sugar in that? Where are they happening? We know low blood sugar is dangerous, right? Yeah. I I mean, it can be, especially the overnight lows. Like you said, if your daughter was hovering at 50 all night and you didn't have a CGM and you're only going on A1C, you're missing a very dangerous piece of her management. Okay, let's take a quick break and talk about Dexcom. As most of you may know, my daughter Arden uses the Dexcom G5 Mobile Continuous Glucose Monitoring System that tracks her glucose levels throughout the day and night. You know, the Dexcom G5. Notifying her of highs and lows so that she can take action. There's a beep from it right now. But that's not all it does. Dexcom also has a share feature, so Arden can have up to five loved ones like her mom and I. You can just hear now in the background that I'm watching Arden's blood sugar through her Dexcom. Anyway, her mom and I and up to five other people can track her numbers in real time, no matter where Arden is or what she's doing. She always has backup. Now, if that's the kind of peace of mind that seems like something that you'd like to know more about, I think you should go to www.dexcom.com forward slash juice box or click on the link in your show notes to find out more. Now, keep in mind, CGM-based treatment requires finger sticks for calibration, may result in hypoglycemia if calibration not performed or symptoms or expectations do not match CGM readings, and you can always contact Dexcom toll-free at 877-339-2664 for detailed indications for use and safety information. In the end, if you go to Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, fill in a tiny bit of information, you will be starting the process of talking to Dexcom about getting your very own continuous glucose monitor and having really, I'm hoping, the same experience that Arden and I have with it. All right, let's get back to Jenny Smith, diabetes guru, as we talk about A1C. A1C, you later. That was corny. Goodbye.
Now, there's so much that can be hidden, and I'll repeat something I've said here before, but prior to Arden getting a Dexcom CGM, I used to set her blood sugar up before she went to bed at like around 160, and yeah. she'd wake up at 90, and I was like, I thought, Jennifer, I thought I was a genius. You, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I, I really did. I thought I had it down. And then we put a Dexcom on her, and what I found out was she was at 160. She'd fall to 55, sit there for four hours. Her liver would probably be like, hey, let's try not to die tonight. And, right. th- and then and her blood sugar would then creep back up to 90 when she woke up. And yep. all that happened in the eight or nine hours she was sleeping. And all I saw was when she went to bed and when she woke up. And I thought yep. I was doing great, you know. Um, and, and so, so much is, is missed. But, so I want to sort of go back for a second to what I said about cheating on the test. Because yeah. it's the concept of if you get the grade – not the right way, then it's a meaningless grade. Like, you know what I mean? Like I got an A on my test in math, but I don't understand the math. Well, that's going to catch up to you at some point. So, you know, so, um, my blood sugars are all over the place or they're really high during the day and really low at night or something like that. And they're averaging out. Well, my seven A one C is fantastic, but it's not, you'd much rather have an eight A1C and understand what's, what's going on and, and be able to work on it still. So what I ended up doing was I took that simple concept of if I have a lower A1C because of protracted lows, I'm cheating. And I thought, okay, now how do I take that from a bad connotation to a good one? How do I cheat on purpose to really get my daughter's health in line. Like it's going to end up being a lower A1C. And even when I talk about it on here, it's the easy way to say it. I say it all the time. I want people to understand the things I'm talking about have led to my daughter's A1C being between 5.7 and 6.2 for three and a half consistent years. Which is awesome. It's amazing. But I can't explain it every time I say it in, in a in 20 minutes. Like that's why I want to do this episode. Like I, because I felt bad about just saying it without more context. Um, mm-hmm. but so, and what went into that management? Yes, right. Because I'm every listen, every episode, we talk about what goes into the management, but every episode can't be a preamble of 20 minutes of me explaining A1C. So I was like, you know, I, gotta, I have to I really want to do this with you. Um, but anyway, I took the cheating concept, the quote-unquote cheating concept, and I said to myself, okay, overnight, there's no food. There's nothing easier than managing overnight. And now people are listening to this now who are who are fighting overnights and they're like, F you, buddy. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> but but once, but like once our house overnight. You know, they're just like, wow. you suck, is what I'm hearing. But but <laughs> but what I'm saying is is that once you can once you teach yourself how to keep your blood sugar steady, where you're not scared that it's gonna skyrocket up or plummet down, once you get to that spot. You want to put your your blood sugar at 80 overnight because if you can let it sit at 80 while you're sleeping for nine hours, you're way ahead of the 24-hour average on your A1C. And that's that's a great a, a great point, and it's something I try to explain to all the the people that I get to work with is if the overnight can be managed, if we split up our 24-hour uh, a day, that's three eight-hour time periods. That's exactly right? how I think about it. And yeah, yeah. if our A1C is weighted over three months and we look at a third of the weight of A1C being from overnight management, mm-hmm. you can make an immense impact on A1C. Even if the rest of the day is up and down roller coaster and you haven't figured it out yet, a third of the weight being from overnight, if you can get that nice and even and like you said, at 80 or 90 overnight, that's huge. Yep. 
So, so understand this, that when I'm sitting up the other night watching um, a baseball game, which I was doing, uh, and I was, <laughs> I was up very late watching it. You know what? It's funny. The nights when I, I'm not messing with Arden's blood sugar and I'm like, oh, I could go to sleep. I'm like, but now I also could like live like a real person and watch this baseball game. And so, <laughs> and so instead of getting some sleep, I'm sitting there watching this game and Arden's blood sugar on her CGM is 78. And it's just sitting there. And I okay. am as happy as a person can imagine being about her blood sugar. Meanwhile, as the, the game goes into a commercial and I flip over onto social media a little bit, I see this frantic mom saying to somebody, my daughter's blood sugar is 95. I just gave her a juice box. And I'm like, 95? I'd be like, I wonder if I could get that down a little farther. Right? <laughs> right? And it's just, it's a difference, by the way, it's a difference in con- concept maybe, but it's more, more likely a difference in where she is in her time with diabetes versus where I am and maybe she doesn't have a glucose monitor and all these other things, right? And could, could certainly be and or, you know, Taken out of context again, if there wasn't a photo of it or whatnot, she's at 95, maybe maybe she was looking at it and there was like a trend down on the three hour screen and she had actually been at 180 and now she's at 95 and it's still going down. Right. And having said that, even in that specific situation, I would have just cut basil for like a half an hour and tried to stop it. Right. Um, But but it's just it's so like I said earlier when we were talking, when I hear back from people that they've listened to the podcast and then they kind of pick up these ideas and, and they're utilizing them and the results that they're getting from them. Like that's the, that's the person I want to talk to. Like I want her to hear, maybe I could have taken 10 more minutes and just not, you know, thrown food at this because right. you know, you know, when I log back on the next day, she's still talking about it. The kid's blood sugar went to 250, you, you know, like, like right. she, you that's know, the roller coaster. Yeah. Right. And that's what we're talking. Then she's, then she's low. She's high. You have to, you have to, first figure out how to stay steady and, and by the way you can pick any number to learn how to do it at you know and right. and then if that you go comfortable ahead. being at 150 instead of being at 110 then be comfortable but be steady at 150 and understand this that once you're and, steady at 150 and comfortable with that there's genuinely no difference yeah. between that and being steady at 80 no that's right absolutely it's just then figuring out the insulin to bring it down and keep it down right Right. Further, and right? I, and I want to say this then without getting too far off the A1C path, which I know I was going to do at some point. But um, the, the dangling, di- dangling pretty glittery things, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, I'm just going to start <laughs> talking about anything in a second. But the, the difference, I've said this a million times, but it's very worth repeating in this episode. The difference between steady at 150 and steady at 80, the only difference between those two things is your fear. That's it. At 80, right. you're afraid you're going to get low. And at 150, you think, oh, if it goes down, I have time to stop it. But you have time to stop it at 80, too, if you're steady. So If you have the tools to know what to do, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. You have to, you know, look. Mm-hmm. You know, if my daughter's blood sugar at 80 started falling and my neighbor was here alone with her, she'd be dead. You, you know, because yeah. my, my neighbor would be like, I don't know what to do. Goodbye, kid. You, you know, yeah. like, and, that, but, and so, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, it's always, listen, everything I say is parsed with, once you understand, and you know, I will at any point in any conversation say, of course, all of this is made incredibly um, easier if you have a glucose monitor. So, absolutely, a CG. I think you know, there's even um, I read a study. Gosh, it was last last fall, and it was about um, the Europe, the European equivalent, essentially, of the FDA, mm-hmm. and um, the fact that they are looking at utilizing an evaluation um, of 
an evaluation of a person's life of, of red blood cells as well as CGM data to see the accuracy of A1C. Um, and I don't, I don't think that, you know, here in, in the States, I think a good thing that we could at least look at doing would be some type of even a closed CGM in order to actually get an idea of what is the variance that's going into this A1C result for this particular person, right? Um, because I, I believe that that's a, it's a major place that we're missing information. And like you said, coming into this, I know very little about A1C. Tell me more. Well, again, most people know the basic of A1C and the more that you understand that A1C is really just that one value, and we have to know over, let's say, three months, what went into making that value as just an average. And a CGM is a huge tool in that. Yeah, it's it's such a it's it's always difficult. I think better than a pump. You know, if I when I'm working with somebody and they're doing injections and they're thinking about technology, I'm like, get a CGM. I don't care that you're not on a pump. Get a CGM. Yeah, you'll want to pump three seconds afterwards, but it's a it's right. a good first step, and 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 it's it it gives you more information, and that information is always actionable. I was as you were talking about about that just now, all I thought was, you know, in the moment, in any part in history, you're of course at the most advanced part of society, right? Like we are at the most advanced part right now of computing, right. of blah blah blah, of all these things, but you you never take a step back to think of it as that it's in its infancy still, mm -hmm. you know, like when right. you stop and think that the internet's only really existed for what, like 25 years, it's in its infancy, right? Uh, you know, CGM has been around for, you know, what, I mean, I, I'm sure they, they launched it a while ago, but I've only known about it for the last six years and I'm pretty much on the cutting edge of this stuff. And so it's in its infancy. Um, you know, I always say, I imagine there'll be a day you'll go to a hospital, be diagnosed with type one diabetes. And they'll be like, you'll then say, Hey, what are you doing? And the guy will say, well, I'm putting your Dexcom on you now, because why in the heck would I let you out of here without knowing what your blood sugar is? You, you, right. you know, like, why would, why would I, uh, you know, if, can you imagine if you had a heart attack and the doctor said, look, you need to be on a heart monitor because moment to moment, you need to know what your heart's doing, except, you know, we're not going to give you one. So goodbye. And right. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. And that, that's, that's a very, very good point because quite honestly, even just finger sticks, as I'm sure that, you know, there are chart after chart in the research that's kind of been done why as CGM shows so much more, it shows you the finger sticks right in a mm -hmm. day. And it says, okay, this person, if we were only going by finger stick, it looks like it, everything is in target. Once you load in the CGM trend line that happened within and between those finger sticks, you see the immense amount of variation yeah. that can be happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the so, ways I figured my way through that before glucose monitoring was I would test Arden at the biz most bizarre times. So mm -hmm. that when the, when the endo, uh, when the nurse practitioner would look at my, my meter and she'd say, wow, why did you test 45 minutes after she ate? And I, and I would say, because I wanted to know what happened 45 minutes oh. after she ate. And she's like, but she's 300. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, isn't it good I know that? You, you, right. you know, like, like, and so at that time, I was still just collecting data and collecting data and just trying to figure out what to do. But, yep. but I just kept thinking, like, what's the... I, I saw someone online recently posted their, their, 
finger stick tests for the day. And each one of them was spectacular, right? And it was really cool. And at the same time, I thought I randomly could have tested that person at eight other different times of the day. And they'd look like that day was a complete and utter failure for their blood sugar. Because yeah. they, they don't know what was happening in between those right. finger sticks, you know. Right. Absolutely. And that's, it is, it's like you said about the heart monitor, we're going to start you on one and send you out the door with it. I, I truly believe, um, while we do, you know, having worked a clinical position in a hospital many times as a diabetes educator and working some inpatient as well as outpatient, we really did try to set somebody up with a a glucometer to go home with. We tried to give them as much in-depth education as possible to go out the door, but Honestly, in that setting, there's so much else going on that it's also not a beneficial education time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a glucometer, unless you say, let's try to do testing, you know, 10 times a day. One, most insurance companies don't cover <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> unless right. you have like that extra letter of medical necessity, you know, has variants here, blah, 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 whatever, to get that many tests. Right. I mean, before right. I started using a CGM in 2006, I was testing a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my, my endo was very happy to write my prescription for however many tests I wanted to do. But he was like, are you sure your fingers are OK? And I was like, but I need to know what's going on. You know, I was right, <laughs> right. like, I, I need to know. Do you understand? I don't want to just know four times a day before meals. Yeah, That's that, not telling me enough. That's what I call keeping you alive advice. Right. Yeah. This is the don't die advice. Not the right. be, not the be healthy advice. This is the this is the don't die advice. Right. And and so and so okay. So we have this to get back on track. Yeah. So we have <laughs> Well it's so, all relevant to A1C. Of it course is. it is. We're staying in the ballpark, don't you worry? <laughs> so when someone says to me, um, Oh gosh, what's that phrase I hear all the time that makes me sad? Um, like because I feel like I don't understand it correctly. Uh, what's your? There's something about variability. There's um, oh, maybe I'm thinking of it wrong. Oh geez, uh, but but it's but tied to A1C. There's there's see when you're talking about it. The reason I keep dumbing it down is because when you're talking about it, you're talking about it correctly. You're using clinical words, and and it's you're. I know you're I know you're fantastic and I know what you're saying is 100% on but at the same time I'm like wait what is like those words seem like words I don't say all the time and so you know I just want people to understand even when you start talking about averages I don't want to lose somebody there you know what I mean like I want to talk about it in such simple yeah. simple concepts that that they understand first of all you know that the number might not be as important as they think at the end not not nearly as important as the as the idea of stability um, right. and and stability so is a great it's, stability is a great word that should be included absolutely um because a1c does not in, indicate by any means stable right yeah it does not yeah it just um, just it's, it's the exact same idea if i cheat on all my tests my gpa is not an indication of my intelligence or my understanding of the of the of the of the the stuff that I'm trying to learn. It's just right. it, that number is meaningless if you're if you're skewing the data, especially in that roller coaster situation. And by right. the way, let's talk for a minute. Let, let us get off the path for a second. Let's talk for a minute about the you know 
a couple of different ideas. Like where are you being, when your blood sugar is at a range, where is the most damage to your body happening? Like let's talk about low first. So you don't want to get too low because an absence of sugar in your, in your blood, I, I hope that people understand that on a very basic level, your brain is a machine that runs off of the gasoline that is sugar. And so if you don't have enough sugar in your blood, your brain just shuts off. And, and that's when you, Jimmy, you yeah. Yes. And just as an explanation there for those who are doing more of like the low carb, high fat, that's correct. If you're in a carb specific fueling body, then yes, your brain lives off of carbohydrate. Yeah. And, and so when I'm, when I'm a person who's saying, Hey, I like it when my daughter's blood sugar is 78, what is the, where's the line where I don't want her to be? Do I not want her to be 65? Do I not, you know, I mean, and by the way, I don't think there's anything wrong. I think that a person who doesn't have diabetes, <clears throat> I've seen people wear glucose monitors and they'll show their blood sugar will fall to 65 for an hour right. sometimes. Um, but of course they don't have man-made insulin who does, it's, that's dumb and doesn't know to stop. So, you know, so, um, but, but if your blood sugar hits 65 for 15 minutes and comes back up again, you know, to, to 80, this is not the worst thing that's ever happened no. to you. Right. But if you're sitting stable at. Where, where's the number you would tell somebody, I don't want you sitting stable that low? Yeah, and that's, it also kind of then goes into what are you doing in the setting, right? Um, because if she was riding, she was sleeping, her blood sugar was 78, you're like, awesome, that's fantastic, I'm just going to let her ride there. Yep. She's sleeping. Now, if she was going to go out for a bike ride and she was 78, you wouldn't have been happy. No, 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 no I wouldn't. You would have said, what do we need to do to accommodate to prevent it from dropping further, right? Yep. So again, setting of the value also makes a very big difference. Um, so I think, you know, safety-wise, we always consider lows as less than 70. So you want, you know, less than 5% of your time to be less than 70. Um, but I also think that it kind of taking it a step farther is where has the average been consistently because she's likely not going to have symptoms like somebody who was averaging let's say 170 and now is sitting at 80 those she's not your daughter's not going to have symptoms because she's used to being at 80 right whereas somebody who's used to being much higher glucose wise is going to have symptoms much sooner even at what looks like a normal blood sugar value how long does it take for the body to adjust to that you know, if you're a person, because you hear people say that all the time, I'm more comfortable at 200 because they've basically trained their body to feel good at 200. But, right. but w once you've made that decision, like I recognize I need to be more like 90, how long does it take for your body to go, oh, 90 feels right? Is it, is there an average of time? I don't know necessarily an average of time um, from clients that I've worked with that we've kind of worked things down and they're now happy feeling normal again at, you know, more in target blood sugar ranges. It seems to take at least a couple of weeks, I'd say three to four. Okay. Um, and again, that's with a consistent bringing it down. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer for somebody to get comfortable from being consistently over 200 and now they're consistently at 150 and that might take six months for somebody's comfort level or, you know, psychological comfort level to par things down enough. Whereas other people might be more comfortable doing it. I have to get these numbers down. Let's do it quick. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to take a detour here because I saw something the other day that upset me and, uh, 
and, and you just said something about psychological comfort. So I saw something that I want to be very vague because the person who did this is a, is a, is a grand, is a great, great part of the community doing a really great thing, but they did something and then didn't give it full context. I thought, which I thought made it dangerous for the, for people who might be coming in from the outside. They gave a voice to people who keep their blood sugar higher out of fear, which I think is, is completely understandable happens to a lot of people and it should definitely be spoken about but what my fear is that when you just let somebody say hey i keep my blood sugar 200 because i'm scared i'm gonna die and then and then don't give any more context a person new to diabetes comes in and hears that and they go oh i have to keep my blood sugar at 200 or i might die and so if you let somebody give the voice to that and then explain to them ways that they don't need to be at 200 where they're not going to, you know, die, um, then I think you've done a real service. But I think that once you just let people run around going, listen, the reason I have five gallon buckets of dehydrated food in my basement is because when the zombies come, I want to be able to eat. (laughs) That (laughs) sentence should be followed with, I completely understand there is no such thing as zombies. And if I'm eating rehydrated mush with my own urine I probably want to be dead anyway and so like like, there should be the rest of the context of the conversation right exactly and so while I thought it was amazing to give a voice to those people and I thought it was amazing for other people to see that 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 they're not alone in that feeling I felt that it it fell short because it didn't then show them a path to not being in that situation Right. Um, right. And so, and that's just me. And I'm sure, I'm, I hope I was vague enough that no one even knows what I'm talking about, but it brings up, it brings up a really valid point, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, any, there are even, um, I think the psychological, even on the opposite end of that, um, is, is not as scary. I mean, for people who are consistently running just really low blood sugars because they truly psychologically fear complications can also run the same, not the same risk, but a similar consequence, right? Of the possibility of just being too low and not being able to revive themselves if something happens, right? I've seen people who come off as lunatics about their blood sugar. You, you know, like, like I, my blood sugar went to 83, so I had to quit my job and stay home. You, you know, like, I'm like, wow, right. Like, right, that kind of thing. Uh, right. Yeah, I guess it happens on either side of the spectrum, right? Like, you can, you can, you can, your fear can drive you one way or the other, I guess. It can't. And that, I, I think, even as a reference, you know, back to A1C, absolutely. I think when people are, are driven to seeing that, well, great. I have an A1C that's 8%. Um, and I've been keeping my blood sugar, you know, here, that must mean it's not so quote unquote bad, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if we looked at the variance again within that to be able to actually see um, where is that going, the A1C of 8% actually could reflect kind of that average blood sugar anywhere from the mid 100 to a little bit above 200. That's a huge variance, right? right? right. But we're not necessarily seeing it again. So running things higher from that psychological standpoint, I think we're also doing a disservice by only saying A1C, oh, this is what you're averaging. Well, great, you're averaging. 
that means that there are lower and higher values to get to that middle number. So, so I want to share something personal here about about my daughter's blood sugar because yeah. I, because I'm always sharing you know her A1C to make the point that I think the podcast is is a value. So, so I want to be 100 percent clear to people: if you think that my daughter's A1C being between five seven and six two for three and a half years means that her blood sugar is always sitting at ninety, you're out of your mind. I want to thank our sponsor Omnipod for supporting the podcast and take a moment to let you know more about how you can become an Omnipod user just like Arden. Honestly, it's pretty easy. Here's the deal. You go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. There you fill in a tiny bit of contact information and Omnipod is thrilled to send you out an absolutely free non-functioning demo pod. This gives you a real opportunity to take the pod and put it on yourself somewhere and say, hey, I think I would wear it here. I wonder what that would be like. If you're an existing pump user, you can see what it would be like to be able to deliver insulin without tubing. If you're a person using pens, you can stop and really kind of imagine, you know what, if I was in a restaurant, I need to give myself a couple of units for something. I'd pull the personal diabetes manager out of my pocketbook or my pocket. I'd push a couple of buttons and wirelessly it sends a signal to the pod and the insulin goes in. No tubing, no connection needed, no thing to be tethered to. Could not be simpler to get a demo pod. It really couldn't. You know, I, I talked about in all the other episodes about why you want one, but let's assume now you're kind of excited about getting one and you just need to remember how simple it could be. MyOmnipod.com forward slash demo. Tiny bit of information. They send you out a demo pod. You contact them back and say, hey, this is for me. And you are well on your way. To a life untethered? Ugh, such a nice idea. Such a nice idea not to be connected to something all day long. Not to feel that tubing on your leg going up your shirt. And still being able to make these fine adjustments to your basal and boluses. When you're done listening to Jenny today, take all that enthusiasm that she has given you, get yourself a demo pod. Be the next person to send me a message that says, I am so happy that I did this. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box. Now back to Jenny Smith, diabetes guru. I gave her that name, by the way. She doesn't call herself that. I'm looking at her six hour graph right now. And I'm, I'm and the reason I'm looking at a six hour graph is we basically had like you know when you have the technology catastrophe where everything stops working in the same hour? Your, yeah. your Dexcom gives up and your pump, like, you know, site goes bad 12 hours before you thought it was going to it. It all happens at one time. So that happened to Arden last night. Her her pump needed to be changed, you know, hours before I imagined it was going to. And what that meant was it just suddenly stopped, you know, the site just suddenly stopped helping her. And yeah. Her Dexcom was time to be switched, and we switched it, and it just, I don't know what happened, but I had to take it off and put another one on. Something that happens never to us. And I want to be really clear about that, not just because they're sponsoring the show, but because that never happens. But I'll be darned, it happened last night. And right. so, and so. It's like, I, everything, like you said, everything happens at once. Yeah, it, it was really like, there was that feeling like someone was going to come out of a shadow in the corner and just hit me with a bat because why not? This would be the time for that to happen. You, you know, like, did you know snakes live under your house? Now you're going to find out about that. You, you know, like it just, everything was going at once, but nevertheless. So it took me, it took me a, a number of hours to get her blood sugar back where I wanted it to, plus to have eyes on it and everything. She got low because I lost my eyes on it. About 4.30 in the morning, she dropped from a finger stick test where I was comfortable to like 56. Okay. And I got her back up and she got around 80 and everything's good. So 
for the last six hours from 5 a.m. till 10 a.m., basically, in, the, in those five hours, her blood sugar has been exactly the way you would kind of imagine. It's been around 100, between 80 and 100, and it's been fine. And, yep. and all of a sudden, she I know she, we, she had something for breakfast she doesn't usually have, and I didn't quite bolus it correctly. And we had what for us is, is it's not a panic situation, but it is definitely outside of what we want. And, and it was something that we have been steadfastly um, addressing over the last hour and a half with, with this in mind. That as you and I are talking right now, I'm going to text with Arden to pre-bolus her lunch. So her blood sugar went to 200. And that for us is, you know, you can use any word you want. It's unacceptable for me. I'm not, I'm, I don't yeah. want that, right? Yeah. And, but at the same time, she's at school. And I couldn't just crush it you know, with a sledgehammer because as it was coming down, I need to bolus pre-bolus for her meal. So, so I was sort of light handed about it with the idea that I was hoping I could get it to trend down at her pre-bolus. So we're going to pre-bolus any minute now. As a matter of fact, can you hear me click around? I'm going to open up my, I'm going to text message right from my computer. So Arden's (laughs) blood sugar was 220 minutes ago. Um, and now it's 181 diagonal down, and that's based on a bolus that went in hmm, 40 minutes ago. Now, I in, in if she was home, I would have been more heavy-handed, and I would have her back down to like 110 right now, and we'd probably be looking at a couple of carbs to stop a fall and to get mm-hmm. it right back again. But again, because of the situation, I've been a little lighter with it. I used a, a an increased temp basil with a smaller than normal bolus to create a slower drop than yep. I could have made. Right. And so yep. now, so now, excuse me, Arden's 181 and she still has a lunch that includes cantaloupe yogurt, two Oreo cookies, the Easter ones with the yellow filling, um, <laughs> a grab bag of Doritos, a banana, a half a bagel with butter and an iced tea that doesn't have sugar in it. That's what her lunch is. I have no carb lunch. She's going to, she eats like a horse. And so I don't know if I'm being honest, how many carbs are in that meal. What I can, what I can tell you is this, is that in four hours, she's got to work out for the softball team for the school. So I don't, I don't want her low at that time of the day or falling. I also don't want her to high. I want to avoid a spike and I need to address the other 80 points of this blood sugar. So, so I'm in a second going to tell Arden, I'm even going to start typing it now. We're going to do a temp basil increase of randomly, I'm going to say 50% for an hour and extended bolus. So I'm guessing based on... And what's the thought going into the extended bolus? Ah, she is is falling now. Why? Why would you... Right. right. Yep. And so she's falling now and she's not going to start eating for 15 minutes. Yep. So I needed to get enough of the pre-bolus working so that when the food goes in, her blood sugar is around 100. The pre-bolus yep. is working, but it's not crushing her because that will give the food enough time to start that the, the tug of war where I want it to happen around 90 and not lower or higher. Because yep. if I give her too much of her bolus right now, then she's going to go into lunch 15 minutes from now, falling towards 60, and the food right. the food's not going to have a chance to counterbalance that. Right. Right. Yep. So, so, all right. 
So yesterday I gave her 8.7 for this similar meal and it wasn't quite enough. So I'm going to do extended bolus, nine units. And let's do, she's 180, diagonal down. That bolus was 45 minutes ago. Let's do 50% now and the rest over a half hour. She just said pre-lunch. I pushed enter. It's almost like I set this up, but if you're listening, I didn't. It's just dumb luck, how it, or dumb bad luck, I guess, actually. <laughs> so tempeh will increase 50% for an hour and an extended bolus of nine units, 50% now and the rest over a half an hour. And I'm going to guess that around, no around noon, which is 40 minutes from now, her blood sugar is going to be around 90 and she's going to be done eating. And, and do you, uh, and her, her, um, softball is what time? Okay. So the softball school ends at two forty-five. They won't get outside till about three ten. Um, and so all this insulin should be good done. and done, uh, especially because we use a Pedra. Um, and I find it's, oh. I find it's, um, action time to be much shorter. Shorter. Yep. Right. So I'm going to be pretty comfortable that that's happening. She's going to be excited. It's only the second day of practice. Um, so there'll be a little bit of, you know, zippy there, a little, little excitement to help hold her blood sugar up. She's going to go out. She's going to feel a little competitive with the older girls. Um, and she, and at, but at the same time, it's also a softball workout at the beginning. There's not going to be a ton of running. She's going to field some balls. She's going to throw some balls. She's going to swing a bat a little bit. And it, you know, it's not soccer. It's not like she's going to run 20 miles or something like that. So, right. And then what she'll have with her going out on the field, besides her Dexcom that I can see on my phone, she's going to have nothing more than a juice box with her and a pack of like, um, like candy in case, um, okay. you know, in case something's up. Um, the, the, the coach does have, it's weird, the coach has juice boxes in a medical kit. Okay. And a glucagon thing. Which the nurse put in. Actually, she called me yesterday. She's like, I'm going to give the coach glucagon. And I was like, okay. And she's like, well, can you bring another one to the school? And I said, yeah, sure. And I, I handed it to her and I said, you know, we've never used this, right? In a decade, I've never used the glucagon. Mm -hmm. And she's like, really? And I said, yeah, never. I'm like, you can welcome to it. As a matter of fact, take three of them. They just sit in my drawer till they expire. You know, I don't even know how many over the years I've thrown away, right? <laughs> so I, I give them to the school because then the, um, the proxies practice with them mm -hmm. you know and so you know okay so i don't think that was off of our a1c beaten path because this because your a1c is tied to your variability your variability right. is tied to this one very simple concept and jen you and i have not spoken since i have come to this revelation okay managing type 1 diabetes is almost completely about understanding how man-made insulin works in your body can you agree in with that? Say it again. In your body. Yes. Yes. Or be a very individual thing. Right. Yes. Until you figure that out, the rest of it is just going to be, it, it's just going to be you trying to stop a dam with your hands, a broken dam with your hands. Like, like there's too much happening and there's, there's this data coming back to you. I watch so many people try to make sense of what's happening to them out of context and i just end up telling them like please stop wondering why it happened and just address it you, yeah. you know like you can figure out why later don't try don't sit around for two hours while your blood sugar is 250 
tapping yourself on the forehead going, why did this happen? Because it doesn't matter in the moment. It happened. Now get your blood sugar back down. Right. 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 So, and then go back to your notes or go back to the setting and, and say, figure it out then. Okay, what happened? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, it, yep. What I, what I've come to sort of understand is that none of, none of what happens to me in the management of Arden's diabetes is ever a success or a failure. It's just data. It's, it's, right. it's data back, data back. And I need to make sense of that data. I did. And it's a very simple formula. If you think about a, a mathematical formula, it's filled with letters that you have to fill in later. The formula right. is I did a B happened next time. I want C to happen. Yep. That that's it. You know, so I did a bolus of five units and the blood sugar ended up at 300 and three more units brought it down to 100. Next time, that bolus should probably be eight units. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I've mistimed my pre-bolus. And right. This I just, you know. Or misanalyzed the components of the meal and perhaps needed, you know, to use something like an extended bolus or, right? Right. It's, it's analyzing and looking in, you're right, understanding how does the insulin work in your body? And I think that, you know, even in the context of our, our A1C kind of discussion here, I think that that is really important because when you're looking at data and you're analyzing A, B, I want to B to C, right? I want it to end up this way, but it happened this way. What do I need to adjust? Um, it also then speaks to how am I getting to my average? Yeah. How am I getting to where this number looks like it is for my clinician? Um, and I think much more so we really need to look at how much time are we spending in range? And what range do we want that to be? You know, for for you, you know, your range might be very tight and on the lower end versus somebody who has started higher and now is working to get it lower what time in range do you want to end up at? Um, I mean, we always aim to have 75, 80% of time in range when we're working with our clients. We aim to have less than 5% low, less than three episodes of significant low where, you know, you need assistance or some type of major, you know, correct um, treatment during the course of a week. Mm -hmm. But in all, we kind of want to look at in range and when you look at in range, an A1C doesn't show you that. Well, and, and I want to say something about in range too. Don't cheat and count in range while you're climbing or in range while you're falling. Right. It's in range, steady in range. Because, Stable. right, because if you say, if you tell me your range is, you know, and you know, when people are diagnosed, doctors will tell them like, hey, try to keep your blood sugar between 90 and 200. Well, right. so if I'm at 180 the whole time, I guess technically I'm in range, you, you mm-hmm. know, but, and also if I spend my whole day climbing from 90 to 200 and dropping back down to 90 and climbing to 200 again, sure it's in range, but it's not valuable to your health. That's where variance is then, right? Ah, see, there's yep. a word I don't understand. Right, so, yeah, okay. the variance is, or I'm sure you've heard, or, you know, if you, since you're using Dexcom, you know, when you look at your, if you're looking at your clarity report, mm-hmm. um, you would see something called standard deviation, right? There's standard the deviation indicates how much you're going from low to high, to low to high, right? Variance, uh, uh, up and down swings. 
A better thing to look at variance would be a roller coaster where you're at the bottom of the hill, you go to the top of the hill, you come to the bottom of the hill, you go to the top of the hill. That's a lot of variance from low to high, and right? And that's your standard deviation. And what's a, what's the a number that's attached to standard deviation that in, indicates success? I think it's it's different for every person, but really our aim is standard deviation of 25 or less. Um, again, if you're somebody who's starting out at a standard deviation of 62, getting down to 50 is going to be a huge improvement, right? right. So <laughs> yeah, you have right. to kind of start where you are and make incremental changes to get that in a tighter range. And it's a slow process. I mean, it genuinely, I mean, to say it's a slow process is almost, uh, it's, it's the understatement of all time, you you know, like like it just, it genuinely is. So, um, and because Arden's last 24 hours have been crazy with the, with all the changeovers and stuff like that with, with the gear, um, like I just looked at her, her app and her standard deviation over the last 12 hours has been like 40. So that's not, it's not great, but it indicate it is an indication of what happened. Right. Correct. Right. There was, there was a nice steady blood sugar that all of a sudden became high and stayed high for six, eight hours and, and, yep. you know, like, and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, so and again, go ahead. basis, if you look day to day and you can then say, okay, great. Some of these days I had a standard deviation that was here. That's exactly what I want it to look like. Or you look at even the trend line and it looks like nice little gentle rolling hills up and down. That's what you want to aim for going back to the day itself and saying, this is what went into that day. And of course, every day isn't going to be the same like you're sitting on the couch example, right? It's not. But if we can um, learn what went into that less, that lower amount of variance, it can make a difference then into the future days to kind of try to mimic, right? Right. And so, so here's where I want to, I want to say this to people who are listening. Like I, I, there's a, a very standard line that you hear people give advice to other people when somebody's having a bad day, someone always wants to come into their, their, their conversation and make them feel better, which by the way is, is fantastic. But they'll make this very simple statement that, you know, this is what diabetes is. And, and it's a true enough statement but it's not what diabetes is every three hours. It, 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 it's, it, it happens sometimes. Like I've just explained to you, like yesterday, last night was, you know, it was a, was a, was a perfect storm of diabetes issues for my daughter. Her blood sugar went to 270. It, I eventually got to 200, you know, like it was a, it was a mess for six or eight hours and it was overnight. So it felt worse. And I could describe what happened last night by saying that happens sometimes. It's just diabetes. Right. But a person who's sitting at home having that experience every 90 minutes, that's not what that statement means, no. right? And, and so a lot of times I always – it makes me a little sad when I see people struggling. That, that in itself is sad because you know there's a, there's a space they can get to eventually where this won't exist in their life anymore if they get the right, the right information, right? But – what makes me sadder is to think that someone has come along and indicated to them that this is just what normal is. You are accomplishing normal. Don't try for better because this is what it is and you can't fight it. And that I, I wholeheartedly disagree with. 
right yeah yeah. And, yeah, it just it it just I, I always think that I'm a fantastic example because for years and years and years I was really bad at this. Like like really bad at this. You know, like <laughs> A1C9. Hey, I got it to 8.5. Hey, I got it to 8.2. Hey, I got it to 7.8. Sat there for 2 years. I didn't know what the, I was like 7.8. Like is it going to get better than this? You, you right. know, and 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 then finally, these lessons over and over again, just kind of beating you in the head over and over until finally you go, oh, I get it. You, you know what I mean? Because I don't have the kind of mind. If you listen to this show, you hear it. Like, I don't know how many carbs are in Arden's meal. I am a more fluid manager of diabetes. If my daughter's blood sugar is too high, my assumption is I have mistimed her insulin or I have not given her enough of it or a combination of those two ideas. And if her blood sugar is too low, I assume I've mistimed her insulin, given her too much of it, or a combination of those ideas. And, and I you tackle it more in a, like a sugar surfing strategy. We just strategy. Keep, keep manipulating it and keep manipulating it. Like it's better when, it's, when you don't have to surf, when the, when the water's sitting nice and still and you're floating on your board, is much better. Right. right? But, but yes, it, it goes up, I push it back. It tries to go down, I push it up, and I do that by manipulating carbs, insulin, you know, whatever I have to do. Mm -hmm. It's interesting talking about just even the carb counting component of that. Um, there, I can't remember where I read it exactly, but there is the thought that um, carb counting should really be, for those people using carb counting, should really be more of a, a range where you would say, let's say one unit of insulin covers a range of 15 to 20 grams of carb because some the study that I read that talked about it showed that there's even variation, of course, then in digestion. You're talking about the variation in insulin use individual to individual and how it works for you, right? Well, the same thing could then be, whole, be held true for digestion. If we're really going to get into all of the small little grains of effect on diabetes, then we have to say, okay, I carb counted this to 23 grams of carb today and this is what happened and why didn't it happen tomorrow? Well, there are other factors that go into that. That you're never, I'm almost beating my hands on this. I'm so excited that you brought this up, right? Like, so because so many factors, by the way, that your body, the, the amazing machine it is, if you have a working pancreas, can adjust to on the fly. But, you, but even if you knew what they were as a human being, you couldn't adjust for all of them. And, right. and I'll give you the example of the craziest one that has proven out. Um, thank God Arden doesn't listen to this. But if Arden's constipated or has not gone to the bathroom as regularly <laughs> as she should, her blood sugar is harder to bring down and stays higher. Yeah. And if she disappears into the bathroom, has a big success and comes out, you wait an hour. You don't give her insulin. You wait an hour because I bet your blood sugar is going to start coming down again. Now, listen, I'm sure there's a medical explanation for that. I don't have the time or inclination to find out what it is or how to manage it in my life. I just know that that exists. And in that situation, my daughter gets more insulin. You, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't sit around wondering about it. Arden's right. blood sugar is stuck at 170. Let's do an increased basal for, for two hours and see what happens. We go, to the, we go to the mall and we're yeah. shopping, which I don't do much anymore. I think the mall is something that doesn't exist in many people's lives. But if I'm wandering around in a situation and all of a sudden people are like, hey, it's lunchtime. Let's get this incredibly bad for you Chinese food. I don't sit and wonder how much of it is how much, you know, carbs. I look and I go, 
The last time we were in this situation and went to this Chinese restaurant, it took 10 units of insulin for Arden to make it through the food without a spike. So mm -hmm. I'll be darned. Here we go. Here's 10 units of insulin. Right. And, and, and that's where experience has led you to be able to do that. Right. right and experience right. being remembering the experience. I think from even basics of, I'm sure you learned the basics of carb counting. You probably started out doing that to a degree, and now you've moved into more of the, this looks like it was about 10 units because that's what we've done before. Yes. And the carb count is still in there to a degree, even though you're not putting a number to it. Absolutely. It's just bastardized at this point. Like instead of looking at, <laughs> seriously, instead of looking at a half of a bagel and going, I believe that's 28 carbs, I look mm -hmm. at it and I go, I know that's four units of insulin. Right. And so. Uh, I have a very good friend who does exactly that. She doesn't, she, she actually doesn't even use a pump. She uses injections and she says, for my apple and peanut butter, I know that I need three units. Mm -hmm. And so, and, yeah. and you know what, and as much as that example I think is amazing, I think that in real world when people listen to that, they go, oh, that's wonderful. But we don't need an apple and, and peanut butter every day. And, I, and that's why I'm happy to tell you, I'm talking about this around Chinese food, pizza, bread, right. rice, like that sort of stuff. And and if I'm, if I'm wrong, you know, if we sit down at dinner, we had the other night, I took a... Uh, I took some shrimp and some uh, some steak and some chicken, and I put it in a pan with some garlic, peppers, uh, mushrooms, and a little oil and butter, and I fried it up and threw it over a bed of, uh, of rice, and I was like, here. <laughs> now, if you think I counted any of that, you're flatly out of your mind. Okay, and so I said to Arden, I was like, I gave her a scoop mound of rice. Like, uh -huh. God knows how many actual carbs were in that rice. And I said, here, let's... You know, temp basil increase all the way up. Like, flip it. Double your basil for an hour and a half. Put this bolus in, you know, pre-bolus stick. Got her moving in the right direction. I think she was like 110 diagonal down when she started eating. Good enough. Started eating. And maybe about two hours later, she was sitting at 113. And then it just, I saw that the bend. And I'm, I'm so grateful for the podcast that I did um, with the people who made their own um uh, artificial pancreas because something okay. because something was said in that interview that I, I refer back to all the time and, and if you look at the three hour line on the Dexcom you can actually see the last three dots on the right side when they start to bend in one mm -hmm. direction or the other it is a fantastic indication of something that's coming and so mm -hmm. she was 113 and it started bending up and I said to her I was like hey bolus a unit and mm -hmm. just do it because because I because a half unit's probably not enough, and you know, and every it, it, these numbers obviously are different for every person. But a half might have stopped her, but I bet you a half was going to get her to one eighty. I'd rather give her one and end up at eighty before bed and go. Eh, she's probably going to need a few carbs before she brushes her teeth, than mm -hmm. to be at one fifty and think, oh, I'm going to spend the next couple of hours kind of nickel and diming these fifty points off this blood sugar, right. or or worse. I pass out on the sofa because I'm old and I don't exercise. And and in her blood sugar sticks at 150 for until I wake up at two o'clock okay. in the morning. Yeah, you know right. what I mean. So yeah, well, and that bend is really really important. I mean, even you probably you probably use it along with the pre bolus, right? Yes. You say, okay, I'm going to pre bolus. Blood sugar is here to begin with. We add the pre bolus. We look for the bend. When it starts to drop, that's a great start to start time to, to eat. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Another good concept is, and I think it's discussed in, in sugar surfing, talks about that bend or the rise fall going into a meal. And what that really means, if you're starting a meal at a great blood sugar, it's 90, but the bend is heading up and the angle arrow is heading up, that actually means that if you didn't eat and bolus right now, that uptrend is going to change your blood sugar you know, about one to two milligrams per deciliter per minute over the next 30 minutes, you could be anywhere between 30 to 60 points higher. By the time the insulin you even gave yourself right then at 90 starts to work. Right. So if you're bolusing based on a blood sugar of 90, but in 30 minutes from now, you would actually be at a blood sugar of 120 to 140 or whatever it is. That means that you're actually missing out on a chunk of insulin and yeah. you're going to rise despite your best effort at carb counting and pre-bolusing, et cetera. Because you have to bolus not just for the meal you're about to eat, but for that 100 points that's coming that you don't see yet. You don't see. Right. And that's why, uh, see, when I talk to people, I like you have a job. We should tell people what you do. But, 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 <laughs> have a job, yeah, yes. but I have, um, but you know, listen, I, I am the sort of guy on a Friday afternoon if I'm just cleaning the house, somebody's like, I want to call and talk about my blood sugar. I'm like, oh, that's fine. And so, you know, we, we'll <laughs> chat and uh, I always say the same thing on the phone calls. And it's funny because they listen to the podcast. I go, hey, real quick before we start talking, Jenny. Nothing you hear on this phone call uh, is advice, medical or otherwise. And I usually, I, in, in a personal situation, I don't do it on the podcast. I go, if anything I say here kills that kid, I do not want to hear back from you. And so, you know, like, you know, just like seriously, like, uh, you know, it's not advice. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, here's what works for me. But try to listen through it because you might co-op some of it for yourself. And, right, and I'll learn by, by listening. I learn things from people that I work with every single day. Yeah. No, I absolutely. I, I can tell you, I, let me tell you this, and I, I'm going to repeat it a number of times in the next number of episodes probably because I'm so grateful for it. The process of recording this podcast has made me much better at taking care of my daughter. So when people send the email and they're like, wow, this is really helping them, I usually email them back and go, you have no idea how much it's helping me. Because, yeah. because giving yourself the, the time to sit quietly and thoughtfully discuss diabetes is not something that happens in your regular day. No, yeah. usually I, I usually say to people, diabetes management is very um, it's very silent, especially the, for the person or for the caregiver living it and doing it. Mm -hmm. They don't under most people don't understand why you might be looking like you're looking off into la la land at a dinner meal. And really, you're contemplating everything that goes into what you're going to do about the meal, yeah. right? Yep. Everybody else is socializing. And internally, your brain is thinking, okay, I've got these carbs. I've got this type of food. I've got the components here. I'm going to probably go for an hour walk on the pier after this. It's like this consistent um, dialogue in your brain that nobody else hears. Yeah. No, no, I... I... Uh, and sometimes at home, I'll, you know, when I'm here by myself and I'm doing like Arden's pre bowls for lunch while she's at school, I almost talk it out loud to myself sometimes, sometimes, but sometimes I'll do it when people are around and not understand. And I'll hear my wife go, Oh, he's mumbling to himself. And, and, <laughs> and I'm just doing the like, you know, yesterday at this time, blah, blah. Or, you know, well, a big con a concept for me is, and we don't talk about it enough. I had Jeff, you know, Jeff from, from the JDRF, he was on tons of episodes ago. He said something that's always stuck with me. We never talk about 
the technology, and you don't think of this as being technology, but the technology that goes into making cannulas is not great. And cannulas get blocked. It doesn't matter which pump you're using or anything like that. The delivery of insulin is not as steady at the, you know, at the second hour that you have your pump on or the 40th hour that you have your pump on as it may be at the 20th hour that you have your pump on. And that is not something people think about, but I do. On, yeah. on the third day of an infusion set, I use more insulin. If that's, if it's, if it's seeming, and, and if it's seeming like it's, it's fighting with me, then, then I fight back. You, you know you what know, I mean? You know, the thing that I notice, and it's, it, again, that's, it's great that when you notice that kind of a thing and you either accommodate or you change it out earlier, yeah, right? Right. Um, funny thing that I notice is that anytime there is less than 30 units remaining in my pump, I notice resistance and I don't know, I don't go into, is it relative to the cannula? Is it relative to the site just now being finally oversaturated enough and it's time to change it out anyway? Is it that the insulin is bad? Is it blah, blah, blah? I'm like, no, I just don't let my pump go less than 30 units. Exactly. And that goes back I, to what I said a half an hour ago. Don't sit around wondering why. Just do I it. Just, <laughs> I just do it. Yeah, yeah, right, right. right. I wonder why this is happening. Who cares why it's happening? Like you wouldn't, if you saw a car about to crash into you and you had time to get out of the way, would you stand there and wonder why it was about to hit you or would you dive? Yeah. You, you know, like, so just, right. oh, there's my ice machine. I usually turn that off during the podcast, but I love a nice uh, chewable ice in my, in my drinks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and my iron is not low for anyone who's going to, it's going to say that chewing ice is a, is an, is an indication of low iron, which it is. Uh, I don't know if you know that or not, but if you if you get some weird satisfaction out of chewing ice, your iron might be low. Oh, I I did not. Interestingly, I did not know that. Being the dietitian I am, I did not know that. Right, listen, <laughs> no. I, I am one hundred percent sure that's short, uh, true. I just happen to love to chew ice while I'm drinking. It's a it's a way for me to force more water into my body than I would normally want to take in, I think. so. Um, but but nevertheless, now that's way off the path of A1C. Um, Jenny, are you all right on time? Because we've now talked for um, an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, I'm doing actually fine. I think okay. my, my next call isn't for about a half hour. Okay, so, so, so let, let, me, let me do this for you. Um, tell people where you work and what you guys do. Yeah, so I work um, with Gary Shiner, Integrated Diabetes Services, and we are... Um, a very, I guess, we deal mostly with people with intensely managed diabetes or type 1 diabetes. Um, and we take it, we take education to the level of really working with people um, wherever you're coming to us at whatever level of management. And we work with people all over the globe. So the nice thing is that while our office is based in Philadelphia, um, we do a good majority of our visits via phone, via Skype, via FaceTime, um, and very in-depth education as far as helping people to either start a pump, um, learn how to use their pump, use all the ins and outs of record um, you know, analysis, and we help people to get their management keyed in. Now that that is really cool. How do how would somebody contact you if they wanted to? And it's not a it's not something your insurance would cover, right? This would be something you'd pay out of pocket for, is that right? Correct. It's it's a pay for service. Uh, I can say that as far as the insurance coverage, there are a good a, a good number of our clients who actually they pay 
and then essentially submit um, the billing forms that we always have a diagnostic code on. They submit them to insurance and many people um, who have no restrictions as far as network provider, they do get some type of compensation or reimbursement. Some people also use their flex spending benefits to pay for it. Right. What's the, what's um, the website address? Yeah, it's integrateddiabetes.com. Cool. And you said Gary's name, and um, most people in the diabetes world who know, they'll hear angels singing when Gary's name is spoken out. Yeah, so, either yeah. that or they'll know him by his Think Like a Pancreas book, right? Th- yeah, oh, that book, Think Like a Pancreas. Gary, I know that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that is definitely, he. it's how he was introduced to me years and years ago, and it's how I that, think of him every time. So, um, yeah. It, it, so it, it's funny because, you know, what you're doing is it's just it's it's the next level like it's it's the it's beyond the just the idea of you know it's beyond the idea of hey this is just going to keep you alive and it's just, this is how 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 can i be healthy and not afraid and and Correct. live live my life completely fully it's the rest of it it's the stuff that doctors don't because of insurance or time or however the world works, or maybe just their, their flat misunderstanding of it. If, if, if what some people I've spoken to uh, have said is even close to true, there are a lot of people who talk to clinicians who don't really know what they're talking about. And so you guys take that into, it's a more deep dive, and, but in a way that's manageable in your life. And, and, and I think the big thing in what we do too is we really teach people the concepts to apply themselves. And we, a lot of what we end up doing the later or the more that we work with somebody is really teach their own self analysis and self adjustment. So many people are afraid to make their own adjustments. They go to their doctor every three or four months and wait to be able to look at enough information for the doctor to say, well, adjust this here. This looks like this is happening. And I mean, that's three to four months of management that you could have done something along the way yourself. It's, if you it's felt constant in knowing what you were doing. It's a huge part of it. And, and, and I do, people reach out to me all the time and say, hey, when you adjusted, because I'll say on the podcast, like, oh, Arden just gained like six pounds. Like she's growing, you know? So I changed her basal rates. Well, how did you know how much to change them by? I'm like, I don't know. Like, like, you know, like that. If you want to know the how much to change them by and why, you talk to Jenny. If you want to, it, That's right, right, right. If you want to know the, if you want to know the, hey, the kid got bigger and needs more insulin, so I gave her more insulin. You listen to the Juice Box podcast because right. because that is just sort of it. I looked at her blood sugar and I said, look, it's been sticking. It's trending through everything that I can conceive: food, activity, cannula, all those like outside forces that we think of. No matter what I've done to adjust it, her blood sugar is higher than I want it to be. I'm looking at her. I threw her on the scale. She's gained some weight. She looks a little taller. It's time to move it up. How much did I move it up? I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I could tell you I did 30%, but what does that mean to you? Your kid's different, different height. It doesn't mean anything. Right. What I can tell you is, is I gave her more. Right. And if it was enough, well, I stopped. And if it wasn't enough, I gave her more. <laughs> you're basing it on previous experience from having watched it so much over a decade again. Yeah. You've got experience going into this. This isn't like you're one month in trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. This is experience on top of experience and putting all of that together. I think the biggest thing when you're the the biggest thing when you're the caregiver to a child um, or a teen is then making sure that they're gathering in their teen brain. Um, what what <laughs> you're doing. 
absorption is there for them, right? That it's like sort of osmosisizing into their brains. So eventually they take over or hopefully there's something that takes over for them and we don't have to use our brain anymore. I keep imagining that it, that I am slowly passing it off to Arden, which I do believe I see evidence that that's happening. But I keep imagining that there's going to be this day, maybe she's going to go to college and that the, that 10 in a row episodes of this podcast are just going to be me explaining Arden's diabetes to Arden. You, yeah. You, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, and so, and there's also, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's also part of me that sort of like romantically believes that she'll be able to listen back to this one day and figure it out for herself. Like this, you know what I mean? And at the same time, it's funny. Sometimes I don't ever want her to hear this because I never want her to think of, that her that she was in any way a, a burden to me or her mother, right. which because she's not, and I, I would, ne- but I would never want her to feel that way because there are times on here I'm speaking honestly about, you know, not sleeping for days at a time and you know, considering jumping <laughs> off of a roof. Most parents do talk about whether their kids even know it or not. Most parents in the online forums and chats and whatever are another sleepless night or I was up all night or I was up at two and four and you know six and whatever so yeah and and while you're talking about yourself that's fine what you don't realize maybe is that seen from the perspective of your child that's you going hey I made this baby and it's killing me you know and so that's not something you you would never want them to feel that because you don't feel that way and so right right yeah Jenny it's all and you've got these two kids now you've a whole lifetime of uh, terror coming your way. Um, you know what? <laughs> trust me. Let me ask you a quick question. Um, yeah. You going to enroll your kids in trial net? You know, that's been a question and something that I have brought up with my husband in the four years since our first son was born. Um, and I actually at AADE in not AADE, sorry, at the scientific sessions this past June in New Orleans. Um, I actually stopped at the trial net table to talk with them because I wanted I wanted more information um, about it. And so I believe that we will do that. Um, in the past, I've thought, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I it doesn't necessarily help me mentally to know that there's a piece there that says that at some point in the future, your child could have type one. but I already know that, right? I mean, I I have a genetic piece to it, I guess, and they're my children, so they're more predisposed than some. They're more predisposed. Um, you know, the the risk for them is it's interesting. If a woman with type one diabetes has children under the age of twenty five, the risk of her children developing diabetes is more than if she has children after the age of twenty five. Why? I have no idea. I don't know what the research that goes into that is. Um, I had children after I was 25, so technically my children should have less risk. I'm also not a man. Um, being a man with type 1, your children have a higher risk of developing type 1 than a woman who has type 1 and has children. Um, so they are also at lower risk that way. But the risk is still there and there is a lot of autoimmune disorder in my family. I'm technically the only one with type one, but there's a lot of thyroid disorder. Um, my brother doesn't have type one, but he does have some other autoimmune, um, conditions. So, you know, with that being said, 
that piece is there for them. So I already know that, yeah. but I, I don't, I don't yet quite know if I want to know if the markers are there. It's such right? A leap. It's such a leap. It really is. You know, it's, it it's some... and I've got friends who've done it and you know, um, I think the smart thing to do would be to, to get it done. Yeah. It's an it's... emotional decision though. And it's hard to know. It's just hard. It's, it's hard to, because once you know, you know, and you know, you, and you it, can't not know. You can't not know it, you know. And so, do you want to have that in your formation in your head forever? Because it is genuinely like someone saying to you, "Hey, on on April fifteenth, two thousand and forty-six, you're going to get hit by a car." You, you, you know, and and you can't do right. anything to stop it. And so, yeah. do you want to know the future? It's. Uh, I just was yeah. interested because of your background, yeah. what what you thought there at the end. Um, yeah. Okay, so let me thank you for doing this because you are a gem, by the way. And I want to tell people this: I didn't just have Jenny on because because of where she works. I didn't. I wasn't. She didn't contact me like, "Hey, I need to plug integrated diabetes." I I I just in a hundred and two episodes, I hear back from people who will all people always say that hearing people's stories is a great way to mine information. But yep. when when they speak of specific episodes that move their idea of management forward yours is one of them really and, yeah and so oh. and so you're going to get drugged back on this podcast a lot as long as it's going on <laughs> so, <laughs> um and you have no choice when i email you jennifer you have to say yes so that i that is promise a, to always say yes i appreciate that very much uh but i do want to give you some time to you know be by yourself before your next client comes in so just thank you very very much and i genuinely appreciate you coming on Absolutely. Thanks for inviting as always. I'm, I'm always willing. You'll always get a yes. I appreciate that. And congratulations on the baby too. That's fantastic. Did we say the baby's name or do we not do that? on? Yeah, it's another boy. And, um, so I have an Oscar who is four and then, um, our new little boy is Conan. Oscar and Conan. Yep. Excellent. Those are good names. And I like, I like a different name. I really do. I had somebody say to me yesterday, they were like, what's your daughter's name? And I said, Arden. And she goes, Oh, that's so different. And I was like, that was the goal. So, <laughs> that's right. That's so the goal. Th- so thank you. Not be the loose, you know. Not be, you know, the Lisa or the Sarah or the right, you know. Yeah, if your name's Lisa or Sarah, please send your hate mail directly to Jenny. And don't send it to me. Thank <laughs> yeah. you very much. Well, I'm a Jenny. I went to high school and graduated with six other Jennies. But you go by Jennifer, though, right? Jennifer or mostly Jennifer. Um, a lot of my clients do call me Jenny. I don't answer when people call me Jen. Mm-hmm. Um, I go right to my brain jumps from Jenny to that eight six seven nine. Uh, yeah. yeah, that that song. I have a very. I might have ADHD. Actually, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you doing this. Absolutely. Have a great day. Thanks so much to Jennifer for coming on. If you want to learn more, you can always go to integrateddiabetes.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend. Don't just tell them. Grab their cell phone. Go over to them. Most people have iPhones. Grab their iPhone. Open it up. There's an app on it called Podcast. Open up the app and then just search Juicebox Podcast and then hit subscribe on their phone. Take away their personal choice. Subscribe them to the Juicebox Podcast today. Listen, if you want to take complete strangers' phones and subscribe to the podcast, I'm okay with that. Also, what else? That's it, I think. Yeah, If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. Please uh, follow me on Instagram or Facebook. It is really a great way to find out what's coming up on the podcast. It's Arden's Day or Juicebox Podcast in those places. And last thing is 
I feel sort of awkward about, but enough people have asked me about it now. I have pushed myself past that awkward feeling. A number of you have asked if you can give money to help the podcast keep going. Um, I'm not a charity, so it's not a donation, but it's the only word that really works. Uh, but nevertheless, if you go to juiceboxpodcast.com and scroll down a little bit, there is a place where you could make a gift to help the podcast get produced. Um, I am genuinely grateful for those people who have said they would like to do that. I don't particularly understand you wanting to pay for something that is already free, but I appreciate it and I would like to help you. I want you to feel good about your desires. Seriously hope that this has been an episode that you'll love and come back to and refer to back uh, over and over again. I thought it was fantastic. I will talk to you very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.